0: Hello, and welcome to the Objective Health Show. My name is Erica, and I'll be your host today. Joining me in the studio is Doug and Tiff.
1: Hello.
0: Hello. So today we are going to be talking about the WHO, the World Health Organization. And the beginning of the year, 2019, they released 10 threats to global health. And since we're now officially in the middle of summer, we thought we'd take this opportunity and discuss these 10 threats. And we've even come up with our own to add to the discussion. (laughs) Or replace. So welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome, all. So for those of you that don't know uh, much about the World Health Organization, they were actually established in 1945 by the United Nations. And, um, it was established as a new international health organization, um, in 1948, the WHO was founded by the UN after ratification by 26 member states and given a budget of $5 million. And that's kind of a large budget for the late 1940s. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're a specialized agency of the UN headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, and they're composed of six regional offer- offices operating in different parts of the world, including Pan American Health Organization that's located in Washington, D.C. today. There's 194 member states and um, Yeah, their mandate, their broad mandate, is to act as the directing and coordinating authority on international health work. In uh, 2006, the WHO Constitution was revised, and its new objective is the attainment by all peoples of the highest possible level of health. Health is defined as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. The WHO Constitution also states that informed opinion and active cooperation on the part of the public are of the utmost importance in the improvement of health of the people. So sounds with good. that said. <laughs> yeah, sounds very noble. Yeah. Very noble. <laughs> Yeah. So they released these 10 threats, and we're going to go through them today. Uh, the mm. first one is air pollution and climate change. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think,
1: Everybody's
3: right, favorite buzzword.
1: Yeah. And I think right off the bat, because they put air pollution and climate change together, you kind of see where they're coming from, the real, like very mainstream position on climate change. I mean, I don't think that we would necessarily disagree that climate change is actually happening. But the idea that it's air pollution or carbon specifically is, well, I mean, it's a bunch of BS, essentially. You know, I don't think we need to, you know, take this show completely off kilter going into that whole can of worms. But um, Well,
3: specifically the man-made global warming crap. Part of it—that's the part that's complete bunk. I mean, I don't think you're going to get many people that would disagree that air pollution is a problem. Of course, like uh, China has to. uh put out all these alerts all the time, people walking around in masks, you can't see the sunlight because the air is so polluted. Of course, that's terrible.
1: (laughs) Yes, of course. Yeah. But the thing is, by focusing, like, you know, by putting it in with climate change, I mean, I don't think who is doing this too much, but um, a lot of people, it's like all they think about as far as pollution is concerned these days is carbon. It's like, what about Mm -hmm. all the, like, freaking mercury coming out or the, you know, any number of, like, other massive pollutants in the air um mm-hmm. you know like carbon is is probably the absolute least um polluting aspect of pollution
3: right but just well they like... say that it's they say that it's bad and i'm talking about the air pollution part i don't even know if i want to get into this whole climate change nonsense because yeah. it is such nonsense but uh uh, one of the things they say is that the pollutants or the toxins that are floating around in the air can cause systemic inflammation and that can once the pollutants get into your bloodstream it can you know go to your organs go to your joints go to every cell in your body i mean that's not anything really to disagree with so yeah air pollution is bad yeah. And it can cause uh, respiratory problems or circulatory problems and damage the lungs and heart and brain. Yeah. But I don't know how they come up with because they said that it can kill seven million people prematurely every year. Yeah. I don't know how they come up with these numbers. Surely they're estimations. I don't think there's any way that anybody can tell with 100 percent accuracy that this is why these people are dying and they can rule out everything else but air pollution or climate change.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think whenever they they come up with those numbers where they're estimating, like, this will kill this many people or this uh, vaccine will save this many lives, it's all, like, complete and total estimations. Like, they're just really pulling those Mm -hmm. numbers out of their butt, essentially. Well, it makes you wonder
0: who's... Who's funding these quote unquote studies or where they're getting their information from? Because, you know, the annual budget for the who in 2018 19 was $4.4 billion, you know? So you got to wonder if this is, you know, these uh, Al Gore type organizations that are like, let's make this the number one threat.
1: Yeah. I think that's true. Really
0: freak people out.
1: The NGOs get more
0: money. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it you know, like Tiff was saying, like, obviously, I think nobody would really disagree that air pollution is a big problem. Um, it's just a climate change thing. It's like it that it just reeks of agenda. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's like it shows that they're coming from a place of this kind of politically correct kind of environmental um, side of things. That I mean, it just shows that they're they're just part of the part of the team, you know, that they're, yeah. you know, like sometimes, you know, the, the, I'm always a little bit torn on the who because sometimes they come out with stuff and I'm kind of like, right on. That's great. Like when they came out and they said, um, what was it that glyphosate is probably carcinogenic. It's like, great. Yeah, awesome. Way to go, who? That's fantastic. And they've they've done a couple of other things, too, where I'm kind of like, great, amazing. You know, they're actually, you know, despite the fact that it's controversial and it's going against kind of the, whatever the corporate agenda might be, it's like, awesome. They are willing to kind of stand up. But then they pull stuff like this. It's kind of, I mean, I guess it's obviously there's, there's like you know probably multiple factions within the who and like you know if it's just the scientists left to do their own thing then maybe they come up with something but then maybe somebody comes in and goes well we better add climate change onto this air pollution thing because that's the you know that's 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 a big problem too right Mm -hmm. yeah i don't
3: know yeah, there's probably some lowly who worker sitting in his lonely little office with no window somewhere rolling his eyes whenever somebody mentions <laughs> climate change. Yeah. But he just can't say anything. Probably. Yeah. Probably. I got to say though I'm happy
0: it didn't say global warming. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well it does though. If you <clears throat> if you go into their um they're like, you know, there's their list and they kind of give a little blurb on each thing, but then they have pages that kind of go into more detail on all these different things. And their climate change thing is all about global warming. And it's talking uh. about rising sea levels and, you know, everybody, you know, 60% of the population lives within um, – no, what was it? Fifty percent of the population lives within 60 miles of the coast, or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but it's going to cause mass displacement and blah 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 and crop failures. Yeah. So even if they were preparing for climate change, I mean, anybody who's really paying attention to the whole climate change things knows that you know it's actually the sun that's driving things and it has nothing to do with carbon. Not going to get into all that, but we're more than likely heading for an ice age. So even if they were mm-hmm. able to plan for climate change, they're comple- they're, they're preparing completely the wrong Direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt and that climate change is a threat, but you know, yeah, and, and
3: even if there weren't climate change, there will still be natural disasters, floods, mm-hmm. uh, droughts. I mean, those things happen anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess for air pollution and climate change, we could maybe give a check mark to those, but not air pollution. Yes, climate change. Not the way they're saying mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for number two, then non communicable diseases.
1: Yes, mm. I would. I would agree what with is this. That?
0: What does that mean? Yeah.
1: It basically <laughs> is non contagious diseases. Like it's not like a disease, like you know, measles or something, where you can actually catch <laughs> it. It's like. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. That's not a disease, is it?
0: yeah i was just gonna say (laughs) tiff's pet peeve sorry
1: (laughs) (laughs) i forgot uh so it's not like a cold let's put it that way um it's like
3: the diabetes yeah and the the and the
1: cancer and the heart disease anything you can put a the (laughs) in front of (laughs) no but i guess it's more like the obesity sure it's it's like it's like um lifestyle conditions, you know, or conditions that um, would be more dependent upon, you know, genetics or environment or etc. Diet. Diet, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, interestingly, one of the actually, I was trying to think of it when I was talking before about what the 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 who does right, they actually backed out of backing the uh, Eat Lancet Um, What was their diet called? Like World Diet or something? The World Health Diet?
3: Yeah, some plant-based diet.
1: Yeah, completely plant-based. It's all plants. And (laughs) uh, the Who actually was like, "Nah, we're not going to back that. There's not enough evidence. Um, So again, I was kind of like, nice. Way to go, (laughs) Who. You're on the right side of history. But. that being said, you know the, the diet that they're promoting is generally the uh, the uh, you know politically correct diet to a certain sense, the kind of uh, dietitian-approved, low-fat, avoid red meat, blah blah blah. Yeah. So, as far as diet goes, I would say that um, their approach to combating non-communicable communicable diseases is is a big no
3: yeah well they said one of their directives for this year uh, they want to meet a global target of reducing physical inactivity by 15 percent by 2030 so i guess people not going to the gym enough is one of the uh one of the problems with these non-communicable diseases being on the rise
0: (laughs) yeah too much sedentary lifestyle too too much sitting in front of your Mm -hmm. computer or watching tv they even mentioned netflix facebook scrolling texting instant messaging browsing Mm -hmm. so get up out your chair and move around
1: i uh, you know i guess i I would agree with that what do you think yeah you know, being I a fat, so. lazy slob on the couch, I mean, it's not good for you. Is it a global health threat? Well, I don't know. That might be a little bit more debatable. I guess the question really is, if somebody was like eating um, like a perfect diet, like, mm-hmm. you know, low carb, you know, nothing bad in there, grain free, etc. but they didn't get any exercise. Like, what would the result of that be?
0: Well, they actually have guidelines for 19 to 64-year-olds, and that so it says how much, and it says at least 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity every week, strength exercises two or more days a week that work all the major major muscles and break up long periods of sitting with light activity so use the stairs instead of the elevator if you work in an office and then it goes on to yeah it explains what is vigorous activity for those of you that might not know things like running jogging swimming fast riding bike martial arts tennis gymnastics and uh yeah, and it says, what activities are both aerobic and muscle strengthening? So, circuit training, running, football, rugby, netball, hockey, aerobics. Hmm.
3: I guess all those things are okay, yeah. depending mm-hmm. on your age and physical capabilities. But I still think diet trumps all of that.
1: I, agree. I
3: if you agree. Eat a decent diet, like you said, Doug, and you just you know do some gardening or mm-hmm. chase your kids around or something like that. I think you'll be fine. Yes,
1: yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as non-communicable diseases goes, I guess, I think it's right to be on the list, certainly. Like, you know, uh-huh. obviously the diabetes, the cancer, the heart disease, etc., cetera, et cetera, the obesity, those are certainly a threat to health. Um,
3: and they're rising.
1: And, and they're people ris- are getting them at younger and
3: younger ages. So yeah, I would mm-hmm. approve that one too.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. They get a check mark on that one too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the third one: the threat of a global influenza pandemic. Yeah. Whenever
3: I I see this, because I see uh, a lot of uh, Google alerts are always talking about oh the flu the pandemic, are we prepared, et cetera, et cetera. Not just the WHO, but the CDC as well. Part of me thinks that they really, really want something like this to happen yeah. <laughs> because they're always just harping going on and on about it, which I can't really complain about because I like those type of movies, <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, World War Z or Pandemic and stuff like that. I think it it's kind of exciting in a certain way, but still, I think they're just pushing it. Like a little bit too hard, I mean, there was a nineteen eighteen flu and spanish flu. i don't know just, yeah, part of me thinks that they want something like that to happen for well, some reason,
1: well, for some reason, yeah, I wonder, I think basically <laughs> it's just to sell more vaccines, and I know that's like yes, <clears throat> tinfoil hat stuff, but nonetheless, like. Like, why else would they be doing it? Like, every year, it's like, oh, my God, the flu, and everybody freaks out about it. But mm-hmm. on- honestly, like, it really just seems like they're doing this to some more vaccines. And really, yeah. the, the the way that the WHO has said that they're going to deal with this and kind of, you know, deal with this possibility of a global flu uh, influenza pandemic is vaccines and antiviral mm-hmm. drugs. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know... Why, why do they hype it up every single year that this, this is the year? Oh, my God. It's going to be brutal. And then every <laughs> well, year it's kind of like normal.
3: In all of those movies, the answer is always a vaccine. Always. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they have to rush and find the, the special serum and get it out. And they get it just in the nick of time. And yep. a bunch of people are saved after millions die. It's always a vaccine's answer. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, when reading about it, it
0: says, while praising how far humanity has come, the WHO health chief warns that we are nowhere near prepared enough. And then uh, the WHO director came out and said, the threat of pandemic influenza is ever present. The question is not if we will have another pandemic, but when. So Mm -hmm. again, it's that same fear mongering.
1: Totally. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, too, that I read a statistic recently that said something like 99% of uh, flu shots are ineffective. Like 99%. Like, (laughs) oh my god. And I think it's the who who actually recommend which strains should be included in in the the year's flu vaccine, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they're actually the ones who do. the recommending. Mm -hmm. And, Mm You know, if they don't pick the right strains, then essentially you're getting yourself injected with like a useless thing. Yeah. Even if they do pick yeah, the right I strains, mean, I'm not 100% sure on it either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting cuz they talk about how their quote-unquote updated strategy will focus on stronger disease surveillance and response to operations on a country by country basis. In combination with more effective vaccines, antivirals, and treatments with universal access across the world, um, and that's their ultimate goal. So that that also brings into the whole thing disease monitoring. You know, maybe before you fly, you're going to have to make sure that you've had been quote unquote checked out, or that you had your documentation approved, that, mm-hmm. that you've had the the shot. So
1: yeah, right. That is frightening. I agree. I mean, I do wonder what the actual, like, you know, because the thing is that we're coming from like um, a Western perspective, right? So, and the WHO is, is dealing on a global basis. So outside of like, you know, North America, Western Europe kind of thing, like how bad does the flu get? Is there a country where flu is just like brutal and just like killing people left, right and center? Or is it pretty much kind of the same thing everywhere?
3: It seems like it's kind of the same thing everywhere. Like, when you get into these uh, non Western countries, <clears throat> or somewhat describe them as third world countries, mm. it seems to be like uh, more communicable diseases, like
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, the the cholera <laughs> or things like <laughs> that, dang like dang. diarrheal diseases uh diseases—you don't hear much about flu like decimating large swaths of the population. Right. right. I mean, every once in a while there's a the avian flu scare or SARS or something like that, but it's yeah. not like massive numbers of people are dying from those.
1: No, those things don't don't amount to anything either. They're always yeah. like, oh my God, SARS, and everybody starts freaking right out, and then it's it, mm-hmm. it like amounts to nothing. It's like ten people yeah. die or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they've got that covered because they're talking about how a major threat is of another deadlier flu virus jumping from animals to humans, mutating and potentially infecting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people.
3: So In their dreams.
0: The bird flu, right?
3: <laughs> the bird flu
0: or swine flu. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah. And I mean, I guess that stuff is possible. Like that could happen, but I don't think anything the who does is going to prevent that.
3: Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'll put that. I'll put that one as a maybe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what do we have other than a check mark? A half check mark.
3: Yeah. Or maybe
0: just a slash.
1: A slash. <laughs> yeah, a slash. That gets a slash.
0: <laughs> All right. So the fourth one: fragile and vulnerable settings, such as regions affected by drought and conflict. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a loaded one.
1: Yeah. What do they say? More than 1.6 billion people, 22% of the global population, live in places where protracted crises through a combination of challenges such as drought, famine, conflict, and population displacement, and weak health services leave them without access to basic care. It's hard to argue with that, really. Mm
4: -hmm. I mean, that's,
1: um, you know, again, we're coming from a very Western perspective. So it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to argue with that
3: yeah i won't argue with that either and may i just go out and say that these would be what we would commonly refer to as shithole countries
1: yeah yeah
3: (laughs) so if you're living in a shithole i mean that's just bad all around yeah so if there's lots of poverty there's poor sanitation there's not the infrastructure for you know clean water and piping to move the waste away uh Along with the poverty, you have malnutrition, poor diets. Of course, you're going to have disease.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Will there always be shithole countries? I mean, there always has been. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what the. I mean, the who they they can go into these countries and like have mass immunization campaigns and things like that. But it's that's just it's not going to change the the structure of their country. I mean, what they need is, I don't know, jobs, infrastructure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Clean
3: water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: sanitation, things like disposing of, you know, urine and feces in a way that doesn't go back into the water table or the Mm -hmm. freshwater system. Yeah. Okay. When you have countries like India and China with a billion people, I mean, that's a huge overhaul in the structure of how society functions
3: Mm -hmm. and if you like move clinics into those countries or try to get more doctors or healthcare services that's really just putting a patch on the problem that would be solved by more things higher up on the the chain Mm -hmm. yes
0: yeah spending a little bit of those billion dollars on something other than vaccines
1: (laughs) Vaccines. yeah totally (laughs) totally
3: yeah, build some roads, put some pipes in. I don't see
1: Bill Gates fun- fitting the bill for any of that stuff, though. <laughs> Just yeah. for vaccines.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so next, we're about halfway through our list, antimicrobial resistance. Yeah, yeah. I would
1: agree with that. You know, <clears throat> it does seem to be a growing problem, um, with, you know, especially with the antibiotics. That, um, you know, we can't really keep up anymore. You know, all these, you know, antibiotics come out and then before long, all the bacteria that they're supposed to wipe out become resistant to it. And then the deal is that they're like superbugs. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, I think I think that's probably pretty accurate, putting that on on the top 10 list of global health threats.
3: Yeah, and if the WHO tries to curb the overuse of antibiotics and antimicrobials, that would be a good thing. But I think that also at the same time, they need to be encouraging the use of alternative means of fighting infections. Like, for example, vitamin C, which is very cheap and can be used in shithole countries.
1: Yeah. (laughs) absolutely and
3: western countries as well i mean it's not really pushed that much so you know if they really want to be on the cutting edge i mean really though it's not that cutting edge because it's been around for a very very long time yeah use the vitamin c but uh, if they really want to do something innovative uh they should go in an alternative direction
1: well that's the thing too like i mean you know it's all well and good to say oh yeah we shouldn't be overusing antibiotics and things like that but they they aren't really researching alternatives as far as i well actually maybe they are i don't know but um they don't really offer up alternatives and it's not just vitamin c i mean there's tons of like antimicrobial yeah. herbs and essential oils and etc etc and some of these things can be really effective so i mean mm-hmm. you know i remember um uh steven harrod Buner had a, a book called herbal uh, he had one herbal antibiotics and herbal antivirals or something like that. I might be mixing up, uh, getting those titles wrong, but um, he had like lists of protocols and it was for stuff even like Lyme and like, you know, Ebola. Well, I'm probably lying about Ebola, but you know, he had <laughs> these amazing kind of um, protocols that, that people reported having amazing results with. So I think uh you know, if the WHO really wants to put his money where its mouth is on this, it should start, you know, maybe funding research on alternatives to antimicrobials or mm-hmm. pharmaceutical antimicrobials. But of course, um, I don't think there's any chance in hell of that happening because no. we know who paid their paycheck. So,
0: mm-hmm. well, and another thing that they don't really mention is the use of antibiotics in factory farm, yeah. and agriculture. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, up to 90% of the antibiotics that are given to livestock are excreted and they end up in fertilizer, groundwater, surface runoff, you know, so they really wanted to combat this issue with all this money they have, they would move to something more regenerative and not so toxic for raising animals. And Mm -hmm. it can be done. I mean, there's veterinarians who can do it just like you're saying you can give those same kind of uh essential oils and alternatives to animals and really cut down on the issue
3: Mm -hmm. well i think this kind of goes hand in hand with the i forget which number we're on but the one we talked about before the the fragile and vulnerable settings Mm -hmm. if you clean up the area you have clean water sanitation better diets not just for people, but for animals as well, a lot of this uh, antimicrobial resistance problem would be kind of stopped right there Mm -hmm. because the cleaner your environment and the better your diet and the stronger your immune system, whether for people or animals, you don't have to worry about all of these infections a lot of the times.
1: Yeah. Well, half the time they're feeding uh, antibiotics to animals to make them bigger, make them fatter. Mm it's not even for medical reasons it's just to increase their yield it's pretty evil actually
0: it is very evil
1: well i guess that gets another check mark
0: yeah we're actually <laughs>
1: agreeing with a lot more of this list than i thought we were going to <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and they all kind of yeah. intertwine in a very interesting way just as you both were pointing out yeah Um, so after, so we're on number six, Ebola and high threat pathogens.
1: Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like I don't know enough about it. Despite the fact that I've read quite a
3: bit about the Ebola thing going on. I don't know if there's no meat to it. There's no meat to a lot of what you read. They're just reporting yeah. about how people die. It doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty, not enough for me, at least.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. And I think like that that's what, I guess that's what I kind of mean by it not being, like, I don't feel like I know enough about it because I feel like the reports that are coming out are kind of very scary and mm-hmm. maybe are scary by design. Um, but I, and I do wonder, uh, you know, how, how much of a threat is it for this to kind of escape You know, the Congo or um, wherever else it was um, recently. Uh, I'm blanking on it anyway. Like, I I don't know how much of a threat it actually is. Geneva?
3: Yeah, I think, no, I say Guinea. A lot of this seems to be like just really, really hyped up beyond belief. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just Ebola, but you always have these, like it seems like every year or so they have some kind of, big hype disease like it was uh ebola and then they had sars and the bird flu and what was that uh, zika Mm -hmm. zika my god (laughs) yeah um but they said there's a lot of diseases not just ebola that who has its eyes on Mm -hmm. there's something called the crimean congo hemorrhagic fever which is kind of like ebola Mm. like you uh you're just bleeding from every orifice, basically. Jesus. So there's also Ebola and Marburg virus, Lassa fever, Middle East respiratory syndrome, coronavirus, uh, Nipah, I never even heard of that.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, Rift, Rift Valley fever, Zika, and then they talk about something called Disease X, which wow. is some un- undiscovered pathogen
1: that's that's just their like kind of their placeholder for something really bad. Yeah. Like why why would they do that?
3: Uh, I don't know. maybe they just <laughs> maybe they just think it's exciting. There's something <laughs>
1: real bad right around the corner. We just don't know what it is yet. Like really really but bad. You,
3: you said before it's just a way to drum up, you know, vaccine business. Mhm.
0: And not address the issues that were the first five threats.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ebola, I don't know. I don't know whether that's a global global threat.
3: Well, they said during the last Ebola outbreak, which, I mean, there's outbreaks all the time in certain African countries like the Congo. I think they first discovered Ebola, like, back in the 1970s. Hmm and every once in a while there's an outbreak but they said that during the 2014-2016 epidemic that 11,300 people died.
4: Mm. Yeah.
3: So I don't know if that's actually correct and they say that not every single person that is diagnosed with Ebola actually were tested for Ebola.
1: Yeah. Yes, the other thing too, yeah. I mean because you're it kind of overlaps with the whole shithole country thing as well, because you're dealing yeah. in with areas where you know record keeping and testing and things like that are probably not up to kind of Western standards. They, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, if somebody dies, like I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's hard to say, like we we can't really know whether how like how many of them are actually dying of Ebola.
3: Yeah, they say that the symptoms uh, mimic malaria, and malaria is pretty widespread. But they said in particular one facility where they actually went and tested people for Ebola, only 2% of the people there uh, tested positive for Ebola. Really? I'm not exactly sure that what we're dealing with is always Ebola. Yeah. I don't
1: know.
3: It's It's very murky.
1: It is very murky. And yeah. And the other, even if it was 11,000, 11, you said, died of it. I mean, you know, that's yeah. terrible, of course, but, you know, that like, – like more people are dying from the flu and stuff like that than than Ebola.
3: And, and you have to wonder too, though, like is that strictly from the Ebola? What was their health status before they contracted totally. Ebola? And I'm using air quotes. And what was the treatment? Sometimes the treatment can be worse than the disease or just yeah. make that yeah. worse. And if you
0: already have a compromised immune system from lack of clean water and lack of food, and I mean that in the real sense of lack of food, why aren't they looking at that?
3: Yeah, and like back in this time, like 2014, 2016, there were a couple of people who came over to the U.S. for treatment, and they were in the ICUs or whatever, and none of the people who – was there one person maybe – possibly who possibly contracted Ebola that cared for a person who came over from Africa who had Ebola, but you never hear like any follow-up on what happened to these people. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's more of that fear mongering going on to just Mm -hmm. put people in this constant state of stress, where if it's not the flu, then they're worried about Ebola.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot
0: of, system down massively. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. stressing about getting sick all the time, you're eventually going to get sick.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of mistrust over in the Congo or other African countries where Ebola uh, breaks out every once in a while. Like People are attacking health workers, they say, or mm-hmm. attacking the clinics where people go to work and they have a hard time like gaining the trust of the people in those areas. Which I can't really blame them because all these people come in. They have these vaccination campaigns. People get sick. I mean, why really should they trust these people?
1: Yeah, it's true.
3: No, I wouldn't. No. All right. Well, uh, well next the, one is. Oh well, there there's a vaccine though now. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be better. Now this <laughs> this vaccine. RVSV Zebov. Now, (laughs) if you can believe this, they say that it's one hundred percent effective. Now, this is just and they did, Did and then I saw another article. Yeah, one hundred percent, which I just cannot believe that. But there was another article that came out like uh, maybe a year later. I think this vaccine was developed in 2016 and they just tested it and it's not gotten widespread approval, but they said, okay, you can go ahead and use it because this is a, a dire situation. But they did a test in Guinea and they had like about 11,000 people in this trial, almost 6,000 people got the vaccine and none of those people who got the vaccine came down with Ebola in 10 days. 10 whole days they didn't get the Ebola, but allegedly they monitored these people for like 89 days or something like that. And they claimed that they didn't get Ebola, but people did report like certain mild sicknesses or whatever. You can't really uh, say for sure what happened to these people, but they said that none of the people in the control group or none of the people in the experimental vaccine group got Ebola in 10 days and 23 people in the control group got Ebola.
4: Hmm.
3: I wow. wouldn't say that it's a very stringent study because they're, they didn't count anybody who got sick in the first nine days after getting the vaccine because they assumed that they had Ebola before they got the vaccine. So that makes me wonder, they didn't test people to see whether they had Ebola or not before enrolling them into this trial?
1: Yeah, no. It's the same kind of thing, disorganized. And I imagine trying to do a a perfectly controlled trial in these Mm -hmm. countries is probably quite difficult. That would be my speculation anyway. But I mean, I haven't heard anything particularly egregious about the Ebola vaccine. Not that I necessarily would have heard it, but um, Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be pretty effective. And I think they made it by kind of piggybacking like Ebola stuff on the outside of a different innocuous virus. So it's just kind of Mm -hmm. introducing it to the, to the immune system. I don't know if I was going into an Ebola area, I would probably get that vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably, you know, I'd read the package insert and everything. I'd be very careful about it, but Ebola. Yeah. I'm probably not messing around with that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll see how everything works out.
1: I'm not giving a so mark to that, that one.
3: More than 111,000 people have been vaccinated for Ebola since May the 7th. Hmm. Wow. So that's recent. I think we can expect another Ebola outbreak soon.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say, because anything like the measles and it starts shedding, mm-hmm. that could be uh, yeah.
2: Not good.
3: Yeah. So I give a, a sideways slash. Yeah. <laughs> <That> yeah. <one. laughs>
1: I mean, there's no doubt that it's um, it's bad, but I just don't know if I would give it, you know, global health threat status. It probably wouldn't make my top ten. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, our next one is uh, number seven: weak primary care.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. No access to doctors and medical treatments. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This like you know, this is another one that you can kind of just put under the umbrella of poverty. It's like they yeah. could have put mm-hmm. one one entry on their top 10 list that was just poverty.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even in in the first world, primary care is not available to everyone. And if it is, and we've done a show on this, it's completely unaffordable. And so a lot of people go without primary care unless they have a clinic that's by a nonprofit organization. (coughs) Yeah.
1: That's particularly in America.
0: America. 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 (laughs) (laughs) For more on that, you can listen to our show about insurance, medical (laughs) insurance.
1: Medical insurance. Yeah. Call that? Who cares about health care? I think that's what our show was called. Yeah. Go look it up, folks. Yeah. It's on YouTube.
2: It's I'll on be 10. the first
0: to say I don't subscribe to it. I feel like I have a better chance of uh, taking care of my own health and wellness and spending six to $700 a month for my family to have medical insurance that I would never use. So. Yeah, that's
3: just terrible.
1: <clears throat> but we don't live in Ebola country. No, this is true
0: so yes a check on that one uh, i don't know maybe again
1: you know coming from a western perspective i don't know you know yeah, yeah. i'm gonna give it a i don't know <laughs> a maybe,
0: <laughs> <laughs> a maybe a possible possible um after that our favorite topic as of late va- vaccine God. hesitancy
3: Absolutely not. I would say that vaccine, what's the opposite of hesitancy?
1: Enthusiasm.
3: Enthusiasm, yeah. Vaccine enthusiasm is more of a health threat
2: than hesitant.
3: Considering all of the side effects and adverse events that come along with being vaccinated. Not to mention, uh, like if you get... Measles vaccine or some other like flu vaccine, and you're shedding virus. Mm -hmm. And if you actually catch the wild type of whatever virus you're vaccinated against, even if you were vaccinated, it'll be uh, worse for you Mm -hmm. than if you acquired it wild. So, no. no, and you know, the whole vaccine autism link, the what's that um the one that's considered like the worst vaccine ever MMM. the cervical cancer one?
1: Oh, hpv oh, yeah
3: gardasil yeah yeah the gardasil vaccine
0: no
1: yeah. no and you know it, it's interesting because if you read their their blurb about it you know they're talking about it. again like we were talking about at the at the top of the show they said that um Vaccination is one of the most cost-effective ways of avoiding disease. It currently prevents 2 to 3 million deaths a year, and a further 1.5 million could be avoided if global coverage of vaccinations improved. Again, they are just pulling those numbers completely out of the air. There's no way mm-hmm. that they know how many deaths vaccination is, is preventing. They're just guessing. and yeah. yeah. You know, they do at least say that it's not just anti-vaxxers. They do say that there's complacency, inconvenience of accessing vaccine, uh, vaccines and uh, a, a lack of confidence, which would probably mm-hmm. be, you know, the anti, anti-vaxxer crowd, as they would be called. But honestly, like, yeah, anyway, I mean, complacency, you know, how many of those people who are complacent and, you know, the vaccines getting a vaccine is inconvenient like how many of them if it was made more convenient how many of them would actually jump on board like I wonder if that's just kind of people who also don't have confidence in the vaccines
3: I think the vaccines are very convenient when I mean, you can go to Walmart or yeah, CBS or any corner drugstore and get a vaccine they're advertising them all over the place you can get them low cost. You can get them free if you have certain insurance. I don't think that access is a problem. I think that most of the people who have become vaccine hesitants have done their research or yeah. even more important than the research, they directly were harmed by a vaccine or their yes. children were harmed by a vaccine. It's not coming from nowhere. No, it's I not. I mean, it's were so great. People be lining up in droves to take them.
1: Yeah.
0: I yeah, think. well, this is where I got a little bit of background information and I don't know, maybe I have to put on my tinfoil hat here, but this mm-hmm. is where the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation come into mm-hmm. play. And you know, for as much as they're a philanth I don't even know how to say philanthropic. philanthropic organization, a lot of people don't know how seriously enmeshed they are in the World Health Organization. So they're the largest non state funder of the the Who having donated more than $2 billion in uh, earmarked grants to the International Health Agency since 1998, and uh, second largest WHO funder after the U.S. government. So they significantly influence the setting of WHO's priority, program priorities, and um, they've been criticized. uh, The WHO's been criticized for refusing to release the identities of their 16 members of this quote unquote emergency committee formed in 2009 to guide this pandemic policy. So Mm -hmm. there's some shady dealings going on for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, They started this organization called Gavi for people that are interested in it. It's uh, G A V I, and it's the vaccine Alliance marketing program. And, uh, you know, again, in 2000, they gave 750 million in seed money to spearhead the creation of this organization, and they're they're going after this vaccine hesitancy. Uh-huh. It's a public-private partnership with multilateral funding involving uh, the World Bank, uh, you know, philanthropic organizations, foundations, civil society groups to improve access to new and underused vaccines for children living in the world's poorest countries. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're they're all over this. If people are interested, you can see the numbers. Um, Of more than the 15 billion raised by Gavi since 2000 to vaccinate the world's children, the US government contributes total about 109 billion or 12%. Uh, between 2000 and 2013, only 10% of total funding provided by Gavi was used to strengthen healthcare systems mm. or uh, to provide sanitation, nutrition, mm. while 80% was used to purchase, deliver, and promote vaccines. So back to kind of our previous, you know, checks and non-checks, they could use that money in a much better way, but they're not. They're, yeah. they're, it's a... It's a for-profit industry. Yeah, you know, as much as it's philanthropic, you know, um, Pfizer and Glaxo, Klein, Klein, Smith have re- received more than a billion dollars from these funds. So,
1: yeah, I don't think there's anything philanthropic about it. It's a racket. No. It's kind of like in 2010, there was that um, the British Medical Journal (BMJ). Um, In collaboration with London-based Bureau of Investigative Journalism, they did an article that was published in the BMJ that revealed that three key scientists who influenced the WHO's decision to declare swine flu, um, H1N1, uh, an influenza pandemic in 2009, and they recommend that all the countries use and stockpile vaccines for the pandemic flu um, had ties to pharmaceutical companies, and they profited directly from these WHO recommendations. Mm. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going on there. It's like, you know, even if, even if there is some level of benevolence to the who, and I think that's incredibly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not necessarily unlikely, but yeah, I'd be, I would be skeptical. Um, mm-hmm. There's still individuals within the who who are not benign individuals, just, you know, trying to make the world a better place. They're looking for their cash.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and they have a new global action plan for vaccine marketing. Um, and this is an initiative that's being coordinated by the WHO. So we saw this with, the, with again, this idea of vaccine hesitancy being a world threat. I think we even did a show on it. Mm. And uh, so they have these... Statements. One is immunization protects people from being forced into poverty by high out-of-pocket expenses. What? <laughs> Vaccines Unlikely. protect children, children's health, and support cognitive development, allowing children to perform better at school and have more opportunities. Again, yeah, what? All
1: right, yeah, I mean, this right. Is in there.
0: <laughs> uh, vaccinated healthy children grow into productive workforce and become strong contributors to the economy. And healthy children free up parents' time, so they are able to work more. What? <laughs> yeah, right.
1: They're
4: really
3: kid, with those. When you're dealing with a kid uh, who has
1: autism, are- you're not going to be. Uh, yeah. You know, that's not contributing to the workforce at all.
3: No.
0: Um, Vaccines are critical to building people's resilience to and mitigating the risk of disease outbreaks tied to, wait for it, climate change. (laughs) um, Good health is a critical determinant of peace and well-being in society. People-centered health systems are core social institutions in every country, and immunization is often the first point of contact between these systems and the population.
1: Give me a break. They, they talk like they're like injecting rainbows into these people.
0: <laughs> and unicorn spirit
3: animals. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not like so, a kind of vaccine, yeah, it's
1: pure happiness.
3: We can all agree that that gives a big fat thumbs down. Yeah, big yes. X, big X. No,
0: and mm-hmm. then our last two number nine dengue fever,
3: mm. maybe otherwise known as breakbone fever. Mm. Really, that's maybe. what they call it because it causes really bad muscle pain. Yeah, I suppose. Of course, I've never had the dengue. I've just read about it, uh, mm. but yeah, it's a. Uh, it's got a vaccine too, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> but occasionally, uh, South America or Central America, there's a. It's endemic to Honduras and surrounding countries, so they get an outbreak of dengue every few years. So it's a mosquito-borne disease. Uh, the Aedes aegypti mosquito, the female mosquito, transmits that to people. Um. So, yeah, it can be pretty debilitating. Um, At some point, like if the disease becomes severe, you can die. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get uh, plasma leakage syndrome and your blood vessels start to leak uh, your plasma out, which is not a good thing. But rest assured, there's a vaccine for this one. It's called vaxia, and it's made by Sanofi. Yeah, made by Sanofi, it's approved in 20 countries. It's not approved in the U.S. Or the So, yeah, because 600 kids died yeah. after getting the Denbaxia, so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it turns out that um, this vaccine actually made it so, if if a, if a kid got the vaccine, or a, an adult too, I suppose, got the vaccine, but they had never previously been exposed to dengue, then it could make it so when they do get exposed to dengue, it's like way worse. Like,
5: mm-hmm. the infection
1: ends up way worse, and they'll end up with that leaky leaky, what was it? Leaky tissues?
3: Uh, plasma leakage syndrome.
1: Plasma like leakage it. syndrome. That just sounds nasty.
3: Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. Uh, um, so- I don't know. Would I say that dengue is a threat? I guess if you live in one of those countries where they have outbreaks from time to time. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the dengue vaccine is even more of a threat.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does sound that way. And I mean, they've gone they've gone forward and said that, oh yeah, anybody who hasn't been exposed to dengue before should not get the vaccine. Well, that's nice of them. Nice of them with uh-huh. that little disclaimer there. But um mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it funny that so much of of the things on this list are actually things that have vaccines or some kind of pharmaceutical (laughs) intervention for them, you know, other than the exercise, the exercise and the diet. It's like, other than that, everything is like, well, don't worry, we got a vaccine for that. It's global Mm. health rep, but don't worry, we got a vaccine.
0: (laughs) Well, and of course, you know, coming back to the Gates Foundation, you know, before dengue, it was malaria, which does kill a lot of people. I mean... There's an article we carried on Saad about a plan to exterminate mosquitoes, just received major funding from the Gates Foundation. This is actually uh, last year, but they talk about how mosquitoes kill 830,000 people around the world each year. So what is their solution? Oh, we're just going to genetically modify a mosquito. Oh, God. Use it as a flying syringe.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: And, um, you know, they're, they're really doing this science. It's it's uh, back in 2008, we carried an article on Saad about it, about how over 22 countries were figuring out how to develop uh, mosquitoes into flying syringes so they could deliver vaccines.
1: That's mm. just, so that's that insane. insane. That's yeah. like, you know, I heard about that. got oh, God, it was a long time ago. Maybe it was back in 2008 or something like that. And it was a guy I knew who was... You know, into the wackier kind of conspiracy type stuff. And he told me about genetically modified mosquitoes. And I was like, bullshit. I'm like, there's no way. That's not true. And it's like, nope, it's true. I'm going to have to send that guy an email. (laughs) I owe him a (laughs) beer.
0: Yeah, Yeah. if our listeners or viewers are interested, it's called No Escape from the Madness, Bill Gates Funds Flying Syringe, Mosquitoes to Deliver Vaccines.
1: (laughs) That's fully insane. That's like dystopian future craziness. Like talk about taking people's agency away, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you cannot be, you know, mandatory vaccination. Well, never mind. You don't have a choice. If you get bitten by a mosquito. Yeah, and you better hope you don't
0: live somewhere where there's a lot of mosquitoes.
1: <laughs> Seriously.
0: They had over 4,000 proposals of people that wanted to work on this, and they gave out 104 grants. Recipients included universities, nonprofit organizations, government agencies, and six private companies. Hmm. I mean, and that's almost 11 years ago. So, you know, somewhere in some Petri lab, they got a flying vaccine.
1: Oh, It's probably out already. We've probably already been inoculated with it. Yeah. Dengue? Do we go to check or no? I don't know. It says that 40% of the world is at risk of dengue fever, and it kills up to 20% of those who get severe dengue. Sounds pretty bad, I guess.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I I would put that under depending on where you live. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely.
0: Because I lived in a climate where there was a lot of mosquitoes, and if you eat lots of garlic, just put a fan on you, maybe have a mosquito net. You're a little bit... <laughs> There was no dengue, though. That was in the first world, so. All right, so, nah, maybe, nah. possible,
1: possible,
4: yeah. threat. <laughs>
0: maybe. All right, and then the last one is the The HIV, as Tiff calls it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The AIDS.
3: The AIDS. Yeah. Well, well, this is another one we did an entire show on. Yeah. Just about its um, uh, nefarious origins, Mm -hmm. all the confusion and the subterfuge Mm -hmm. and how it was discovered Uh, I don't know if we should go into that, but we do have a a show. I think it was called What's Up with the AIDS or something like that? Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh, well, who considers this to be a global threat still? Uh, They said that more than 70 million people have died since HIV, AIDS virus was first discovered, and that 37 million people are now infected with The HIV.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is another one. I mean, there's a lot of controversy around this and they kind of like, you know, there are people out there who say that the HIV AIDS thing in North America is not the same thing or in Western countries in general is not the same thing Mm -hmm. as the AIDS that you see in Africa, where it's really like at, you know, pandemic levels or whatever, where it's actually really a major, major problem. Um, you know, not that it, it isn't a problem in um, in Western countries, too. I mean, it, it is a thing, but I think if you were to isolate Western countries, then it wouldn't be anywhere near the top 10 list. I don't think, anyway. I don't think... It would be interesting <laughs> to see a breakdown of the numbers, but I think that um, that the HIV-AIDS thing, it's kind of like once everybody figured out that they could, you know, wear condoms and be relatively safe, you know, the blood blood transfusion thing got figured out, it kind of seems like it's a lot more under control now. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like it's only, once again, poverty and no access to, you know, well, education for one thing, but um, um, also sanitation and all those other kinds of things. I mean, this is like a yet another one that fits under that umbrella of poverty.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think even in our show, we covered that, I remember you saying, Tiffany, that they don't even necessarily have a test that gives you a 100% positive diagnosis. Right.
3: Yeah. I think their test only shows antibodies. And usually with a test and you have antibodies to that particular virus, that's considered a good thing. But if you have antibodies for HIV, then that means that you have HIV. It doesn't quite make sense. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think we did talk about that in our AIDS show. But I don't know if I would put this on top 10 threat to global health.
1: Yeah, again, it's pretty location dependent.
3: Yeah, it depends on where you live again. And then again, you have to consider the treatment like those antiretrovirals those are no joke they have some really serious side effects so are they dying from the HIV AIDS or are they dying from the accumulated years of taking antiretroviral drugs yes I mean look at Maggie Johnson see taking those drugs that dude looks healthy as hell yeah it's true
1: he does doesn't he doesn't look like he's got the AIDS
3: no anyway yeah I wouldn't put it on my top 10 list. I was that
1: no, one. I think I wouldn't either. I mean, again, it's kind of like it, it it's a problem in a kind of isolated area.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So but cool if any for of that. our listeners, yeah, check out our old show on AIDS and check out the documentary House of Numbers. Mm. It goes in much greater detail.
1: Our old show, though, you have to find it on SOT because it was before we were on video. So you won't find it yeah. on the YouTubes. Yeah. Well.
0: Well, segueing into our 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 ten top health threats. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ones that the uh, the WHO neglected, in our eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: So number one, glyphosate.
1: Absolutely. And it yes. belongs at number one too. I think. That is a...
0: And for those who are not in the know, that is Roundup. Yeah. Weed killer.
1: Monsanto created Bayer-owned glyphosate. Probably the most evil chemical on the face of the planet.
3: It's everywhere.
1: Everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) That stuff is nasty. We've done a show on that recently as well. You can find that in our YouTube history. We're just plugging all the old shows here
0: yeah well it's helped us come up with our own list right yeah (laughs) next one 5g
1: yes again wireless on
2: steroids
1: (laughs) we interviewed uh scott ogren um scotty's tech dot info about um the 5gs and uh yeah it's super super bad and that's it's like it's we're on the verge of it being absolutely everywhere. Um, we're going to be beamed.
0: Yeah. You can
3: feel it already. <laughs> yeah. And, and whether you have a cell phone or not, it's not going to matter.
1: Yeah. 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 So that's definitely a global health threat, especially since it's going to be put on satellite and like beamed onto the planet. Yeah. Oh At <laughs> like By the end of it, you can't really escape it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's when we will really be putting on our tinfoil hats. Yeah,
1: literally, literally.
0: Living in our little Faraday cage, not going outside. Oh, underground, maybe. Oh,
1: maybe that'll be the new thing, like subterranean dwelling to escape the 5Gs.
0: Yeah. Um, Number three was vaccine and vaccine enthusiasm. I think we kind of covered that pretty well, but
4: we'll just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: of the topic. so don't be swayed don't be intimidated
1: yeah um, I think the vaccine enthusiasm is, is kind of more of the health threat because that's um, yeah. that's what's kind of pushing people who are actually resisting into you know either forcing or you know coercing them mm-hmm. into kind of going against what they know and falling in line Yeah.
0: Yeah. And a lot of scaremongering. For sure. Yeah.
1: Maybe the mainstream media Uh, should have been on our list, actually. That's a global health threat. Yeah. And their vaccines.
0: I have a feeling anyone watching us, though, is not really plugged into the mainstream media. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Number four opioids, the opioid epidemic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I mean, you could maybe argue that um, that's kind of regional as well, because that's pretty much America, as far as I can tell. I don't think that's as huge a problem in other countries. Mm -hmm. Maybe in, in the UK? I don't know. Does the UK have an opioid problem right now?
3: I don't know. I don't remember reading much about it, but I'm sure they must to a certain extent, but it's really bad in the United States. Like really
1: bad, yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, and the the UK also doesn't have that uh, the pharma being able to put ads on TV, so maybe people aren't as swayed by that. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty bad. I think two years ago, Donald Trump, Uh, designated a national emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing's really happened as a result other than right now the Sackler family, uh, they created, what was the name of the organization? Purdue Pharma. They're Uh, going through a lot of lawsuits right now. Um, Actually, communities in states like Massachusetts are are suing them, so we'll see how that comes out because They willingly put a product on the market, the uh, Oxycontin, that they knew was, what, 13 times more addictive or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully those lawsuits. Maybe we'll have another Monsanto on our hands. People getting billions <laughs> of dollars.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems like, you know, as, as people across the board come out about it, I think it doesn't matter what your race or income status, or any of those things are. It's all across the board. It does not discriminate. So I think people are going to start speaking out about it as more and more people die. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, number five, uh, the WHO and the CDC. <gasps> Did oh. we just say that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, gasp. <coughs> yeah. I think they are a threat to global mm-hmm. global health.
3: Because they're so backwards and they give out such crappy information about how to keep yourself healthy. Everything is just vaccine, 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 vaccine. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I mean, <laughs> Jesus, like the CDC, you want to talk about corrupt? Like they're way <laughs> oh, worse yeah. than the WHO. Well, actually, I don't know if they're way worse than the WHO, but what's I think been exposed are. is certainly worse. <laughs> Like hiding yes. study results and like manipulating things. And like, they're, they're just brutal. They're assessed. I think it was, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, is that his name? The vaccine guy? Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he called them like a cesspool of corruption. Which I, think <laughs> is, I think is very accurate.
3: Well, they have the nickname centers for disease creation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: So whenever
0: something says, the CDC says, you just think cesspool of corruption and move on.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the cesspool of corruption says.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next on our list, endocrine disruptors. Yes. Flatlets? Platelets? Is that how you say it? Flatlets? What? Plastic. 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 BPA?
1: <laughs> yep. Soy yeah. the soy don't yeah. eat the soy kids yeah, anything uh basically estrogenic compounds that um, end up in the environment um, yeah like they 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 are chemicals that are used in foods, they're used in plastics, they're used in packaging, they're used cleansing products, they're used in uh, makeup uh yeah they're they're like everywhere. And then there, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. natural ones too, like I said, in soy, flax seeds, there's a whole bunch of them. And they're basically these estrogenic compounds that just completely mess up your hormones, um, that can lead to cancers, that can lead to feminizing of men and boys. Um, Man boobs. Yeah, turns the frogs gay, as Alex Jones is fond of saying. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I'd say that definitely is a threat to global health. Mm-hmm. And it is really global too. I mean those things are everywhere. That's not kind of like a, a Western phenomenon. That that those endocrine disruptors are in like everything. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think they even found them in the urine of polar bears. Oh <laughs> my That's god. How widespread it is. It's Jesus. Bad. Yeah. uh next. Social social justice lefter left lefters, <laughs> social, ju- <laughs> social justice warriors or extreme
3: leftists. Yeah, yeah, I think they're more of a threat to uh, people's mental health,
1: mental health, yeah, and
3: the social norms and morality of society. Yep, uh-huh. these people are. I guess they would call themselves progressivists. They just want to tear down tradition, poke their fingers into the family, uh, traditional religion like Christianity. They just really have an ax to grind with traditional uh, American or family or Western values or Christian values. Mm. They're really kind of like... Uh, Sick people. Yeah, they I, don't. Well, think the they don't care about stirred. facts. Yeah, they don't care about facts. Everything is about feelings. Everything is about your identity. Uh, yeah, I, I can't think of all the ways that they. They just want to tear down society and rebuild it into some kind of sick utopian image of theirs, where anything goes.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. Next. Uh- Transgender agenda.
1: Transgender agenda. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty, a pretty, yeah. I mean, this is a sticky one. But, um, I mean, I'd say, like, the real problem with it is kind of when it comes to kids, you know, when they're mm-hmm. kind of, like, deciding that these kids are actually transgender and they want to put them on puberty-blocking drugs and you know undergoing surgeries and things like that like that stuff that's just that's like child abuse straight up like Mm -hmm. i I honestly think that's the case i mean if you're an adult and you decide that you are the wrong gender and you want to do whatever you want to do by all means go ahead it's really Mm -hmm. the kids the kids that 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 i find very disturbing
0: i agree completely it's hard enough growing up in the climate that we live in now as a child to throw that in there to even, I mean, I raised kids and 20 years ago that didn't happen. So I can only imagine what it's like now to try and navigate the world and then have your gender being questioned or you questioning your gender. I should say it's really shocking. Yeah. Should we move
3: on? Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Just how they argue against, you know, basic biology. (laughs) Yeah. There are men and there are women and that's it. I mean, there's a small number of uh, hermaphroditic type persons, but come on. Yeah. Of course, and such a minority of the population has so much control now over what everyone thinks or says yeah, it's just ridiculous.
1: Totally. That's ridiculous.
3: all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> we um, also did a show on that too.
0: Yes.
1: We done <laughs> yeah. a show on all of these. Amazing.
0: <laughs> so we came up with our list, right? <laughs> um, the next one is the vegan push. Push. How do you say it, Doug? P- push. push.
1: Push. Push. Yeah. yeah. The vegan push. Wanting to turn everyone vegan. Yeah, I think that that's a definite health threat, especially given Mm -hmm. how prevalent it is. You know, it's basically like common knowledge, and I use air quotes, that um, the vegan diet is the most healthy diet. And that we should all be eating vegan. And not only is it the best diet for us, it's the best diet for the environment. And that's the thing that, they, they, you know, they tie into it. It's like, well, even if you don't care about the animals, you should at least care about the planet that you live on, your mother, um, and the vegan diet is the, like, as if, you know, monocrop, uh, GMO, pesticide-laden um, vegan food is good for the environment. I mean, what universe do you live in? That's just
2: ridiculous.
1: (laughs) But yeah, this whole push towards veganism, like every second article you see in the mainstream media is like, if you want to save the planet, you have to stop eating meat. It's Mm -hmm. ridiculous. And all these like beyond meat and like shmeat and like all these these (laughs) fake meat things that are just like, a genetically modified chemical shitstorm and they're sitting there trying to tell you that that's better for you than eating meat. I mean, Jesus. Yeah.
0: Sprinkled so. with glyphosate, of course. Of course.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: For your added health benefit. Well, they did that. Yeah, so kind of,
1: sorry. Yeah, go
0: on. You were going to say. I was just going to
1: say there was that there was that group um mothers something Anyway, a group of moms across America. That was it.
0: Moms across America, yeah.
1: They did a test on the the Beyond Burger um, and found, uh, yeah, glyphosate, like high levels of glyphosate in it. So instead of the Beyond Burger saying, oh, you know, we're going to try and deal with this. We're really sorry. They're like, glyphosate's not bad for you.
0: (laughs) It's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) It'll only take twenty years for it to show up when you have stomach cancer and IBS and you know colon cancer. Oh, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, if you don't drop dead immediately after consuming certain foods, then. It's kind of like the manufacturers, get a, they get a pass.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that just goes uh, to show how they don't actually give a shit about the environment or the health of their consumers. You know, mm-hmm. for them to double down on that and just be like, well, glyphosate is not bad for you. It's, you know, you, you're clueless for one thing. And also the fact that they seem completely unaware of the fact that there's all these lawsuits coming out right now. Against glyphosate, it's like, are you guys not reading the news? You're gonna turn around and say, "Well, it's not bad for you." What a bunch of jerks!
0: All right, and our final one: i-iatrogenic <laughs> it I can <laughs> never say it. <laughs>
1: Iatrogenic.
3: Iatrogenic deaths.
1: That's basically these are people
3: who are croaking from routine medical care and uh uh medications. Like they're taking their medicines the way the doctor prescribes them and the side effects eventually get them. Yeah. Or they're go undergoing surgeries or something, just any kind of medical procedures that will chop years off of your life. Uh yeah. Uh, they yeah. say that over a hundred thousand—is it over a hundred thousand people die a year just from uh, doctor-prescribed medications?
1: I think it's more than that. I thought it was like yeah. super high. Maybe I'm wrong though. A hundred thousand. Um, well, th-
3: they've none- never done any tests on you know polypharmacy, like people taking more than one prescription medication. Yeah. With a bunch of other. You know, they're taking all these handful of pills every day. They never tested over the long term. Like, what kind of effect does this have on people? Right. Nobody knows. Well,
1: it's actually the the on the screen there. We've got there. It's seven million eight hundred thousand in ten years. So that's oh. the estimate for ten years. So, so there you go. Like that's um, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, again, I mean, I I don't know that they actually. Well, no, that, that's probably a pretty firm figure, actually. They'll know if somebody died from from medications, for sure. That's mm-hmm. not just a number out of the air. But well, consider, it could be an
3: underestimation, actually, because, totally. like, say you have cancer, or, you know, they might say, oh, well, this person died from cancer, but really they died from the Chemo. effects of chemotherapy.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's definitely a possibility. And you Mm -hmm. know, the fact that that isn't on the list of the who, like, I mean, if you just look at the numbers here and you said, what, it was like 11,000 from Ebola, and Uh then you've got 7 million over 10 years. So that's like 700,000 a year compared to Mm -hmm. 11,000. It's like, do the math, man. Who? Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Who? (laughs) (laughs) Who? We haven't made a lot of Who jokes.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's our Who list, our our counter list to yeah. the Who. The anti-Who. The anti-Who. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah I like our list better. Mm-hmm. I think it's more accurate.
0: And a lot of them, uh, our listeners and viewers can find on SOT. We've done shows on it. So if you want to learn more about it, just tune in. Listen to the audio version of our previous format.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: So, actually, uh, we'll, oh, go on, Doug.
1: No, I was just going to say, I think we, I don't know that we've done one on I- iatrogenic deaths. And I think that maybe we could in the future.
0: Yeah. yeah. Very good. So we will have uh, go to our pet health segment, and a little bit lighter note, uh, cats meowing.. <laughs>
4: Welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Objective Health program. Today we are going to attempt to answer a very important question. Why do cats meow? So watch the following video and don't forget to stay until the end for a cute musical surprise. Have a nice summer, everyone!
5: This is a difficult question to answer even for the most expert in feline ethology. Currently, it is estimated that cats can emit more than 100 different types of vocalizations. However, Many of these come under very similar categories and it's possible to break them down into 11 different sounds which cats use for their daily communication. While this is a video for the different types of meows cats make, the word comes from the onomatopoeic word for the standard meow. This is the one they use most often when they want to draw their owner's attention. There is no single meaning for a cat's meow as there are so many possibilities the cat would implement this sound. However, we can interpret what our cat wants to express by paying attention to the tone, intensity and frequency of the meow as well as observing their body language. In general, the more intense the cat's meow, the more urgent or important is the message they want to convey. Purring is characterized as a rhythmic sound emitted in a low volume which can also have a range of frequency. Although domestic cats purr is well known, wild cats will also vocalize this most characteristic of sounds. Felines purr for a variety of reasons according to their age and the reality they experience. A mother cat uses purring to calm their kittens during childbirth and the first days of their life before their eyes are opened. Many kittens vocalise this sound both when they breastfeed and when they are afraid of unknown stimuli. In adult cats, purring occurs most often in positive situations. They are usually in a state of relaxation, comfort or contentedness, such as when they are eating or being petted. However, purring is not always synonymous with pleasure cats may purr when they are sick or vulnerable or as a sign of fear in threatening situations. This could be when they are in confrontation with another cat or are being scolded by an owner. The chirp is a sound similar to a musical trill, in which the cat emits a sound with its mouth closed. It is an ascending and very short vocalisation, rarely lasting one second at a time. In general, this sound is most often used by cats and their kittens to communicate with each other during breastfeeding and weaning. However, adult cats can also make this threshing sound to give their loved ones a friendly greeting. Cats use snorting as a form of self-defense. They open their mouths wide and expel air abruptly to frighten possible predators or other animals which invade their territory and may threaten their well-being. Sometimes the air is expelled so quickly the snort sounds more like a spitting noise. It is a very peculiar and typical feline vocalization which it can begin making from the age of three weeks onwards. When the mating and breeding season arrives, almost all cats with vocalization ability emit sexual calls. In cats, both females and males vocalize an intensely prolonged moan to communicate their presence and attract their partners. Males will also make this noise to warn away other males in their territory. Roriling is a warning sign cats give when they are angry or stressed and don't want to be disturbed. The vocalizations can be short or long, but the meaning is the same. If your cat growls at you, it is best to give them some space and leave them to calm down. However, if they do it with too much frequency, it is a sign of some physical or mental health issue, so a visit to the vet is necessary. If you've already heard a cat cry or scream in pain, you know how distressing this high-pitched and intense sound can be. Cats might scream when they have been injured, but it is also a noise they make after mating. There is a distress call which is vocalised almost exclusively by kittens during their first weeks of life. It's meaning, in very general terms, is basically, I need you, mom. The sound is similar to a meow, but the kitten emits it loudly and urgently to communicate a need or imminent feelings of danger. This is why they are sometimes known as an emergency call. This could be due to feeling trapped, being hungry, cold, or whatever a kitten may need. Shrieks and howls are long, high-pitched sounds which usually appear as the next step after a growl, especially if the person at which the growl was directed has not heeded their warning. At this point, the reason for making the sound is not to warn them, but to threaten the other individual and show they are ready for combat if necessary. For this reason, this sound is most common in unneutered adult males. Chattering is the popular name for a type of high-pitched vibrating sound which cats emit while shaking their jaws. It occurs in situations of extreme excitement and or frustration, for example, when they see possible prey through a window, but they cannot reach it. The murmuring sound of cats is very special and is usually a combination of purring, grunting and meowing. In addition to being pleasant to the ear, the murmur also has a positive meaning behind it. It is used to show gratitude and satisfaction. This could be in return for receiving their favourite treat or being given some caresses which generate much pleasure.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Now we can kind
0: of figure out what they're saying.
1: (laughs) Need a cat translator.
0: (laughs) Well, that's our show for today. Thank you everyone for joining us. And please subscribe below if you'd like to see our future shows and uh Listen in, and we will have another interesting topic next week. Bye, everybody. Have a great
4: day.